Hallelujah, Christ is risen. I suppose it's appropriate to upgrade that statement somewhat. Hallelujah, Christ is ascended. He is ascended indeed. Hallelujah. Yeah, it doesn't quite have the same ring to it. But still very true and good news, just the same. Today on the last Sunday of Easter, we look to the beginning portion of John chapter 17, Jesus' famous high priestly prayer. When Jesus prayed this prayer, he was only hours away from his crucifixion, the hour that he had been preparing for his entire life, his entire ministry, the hour that he was preparing his disciples for their entire time together. He was to be glorified by offering his life as a ransom for many. He was to be lifted up on the cross so that he may draw all men unto himself. And given the circumstances, his natural impulse was to pray. And this prayer is extremely important for our, it's extremely important and appropriate for our preparation for Pentecost. Because the things that he prays for in this prayer will be answered and will be provided for when the Holy Spirit comes. And so here we have Jesus offering the perfect prayer, what I call irreproachable intercession, because I like my alliteration. And yes, I know that that title is very pretentious. I get it. But you sit there and try to come up with titles for these sermons every single week. <laughs> That's what we're calling it. Where do we dive in? Where do we dive in on this wonderful prayer? How can we begin to wrap our minds around what is actually taking place within this divine discussion? Some words are too deep for words. We're standing on holy ground here. We are listening in on the conversation between the divine persons of the Godhead in the unity and love of the Holy Spirit. We are listening to the divine person of the word who has now taken on flesh and assumed humanity into his person so that he may offer up prayers on behalf of sinful humanity. There's something truly profound that's going on in this passage, something even mysterious. I remember the early days of my marriage and even the time when we were dating. And Sorry, I'm going to talk about you for a second, but I was getting to know my wife's best friends. And I learned very quickly that they had literally, literally made up their own language. I'm not saying that they just talked and so you didn't know what they're talking about. I'm talking about they made their own language with their own words so that they could carry on a conversation in private in a room full of people. That was nuts. And so I asked her to teach me how to speak this language that they came up with, and she tried on a number of occasions, but I just quit because it was too complicated, too complicated for me. And they don't speak that way as much anymore, but they still have their own way of talking to one another so that when I'm in the room, I don't know what's going on most of the time. See, there's this relationship that is there that was forged over the, the years where they communicate together in ways that are just mysterious to me. I experienced a similar thing very recently, but it was in a different context. My mom was in town for Mother's Day weekend, and, and my daughter, Nora, just loves her granny. She's obsessed. And at one point during the visit, Nora was having a hard time, and she got into this really bad mood and I don't know, she was upset about something. And whenever I tried to comfort her, whenever I tried to figure out what was wrong, she didn't want to tell me. 
She didn't want to tell me. And um, I tried everything that I could to, to soothe her. I tried what I could to you know, put her mind at ease, to help her to focus on something else. But nothing worked. So I asked her, do you want to go sit on Granny's lap? Do you want Granny to help you? And she said yes. And so she went and she sat on Granny's lap. And while she wouldn't tell anything, she wouldn't tell Granny what was wrong either, Granny would just say, Granny knows. Granny knows. Little by little, it worked. She was comforted. Her mood completely changed. What was going on there? Something that was mysterious to me, because it didn't work for me. But Granny knows. Granny knows. And because Granny knows, everything's going to be okay, right? There was this unique communication that was going on there in that moment. You all do this. I do this. My wife and I have our own way of speaking with each other so that most people, when they listen to us, don't understand what we're talking about. You do this with your spouse. You do it with your best friend, with certain members of your family. You know, whenever you're with your larger family at get-togethers and at holidays, you may invite a friend or a neighbor over to share a meal and to get to know your family and so forth. Uh, But I guarantee you that that's not the most comfortable environment for the friend or the neighbor. Why? Because whenever you get around your family, you start talking. No No matter if you've hated each other for years, whenever you come together, you just pick up conversation like you never left and you talk about things in ways that are foreign to outsiders. Right? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's how it works. There's this unique relationship, this unique bond, this, these familial ties that create this unique communication. And so in a similar way, whenever we hear Jesus speaking to his Father, it's on the basis of this unique relationship that he alone shares with him in this rather mysterious way. And yet it's not a mystery that is barred to us. It's actually a mystery that invites us to hear, to listen in, and to even join in on the conversation. That's why Jesus wanted to be heard by his disciples around the table in the upper room. This is not a private conversation. He wants to be heard. And in this prayer, Jesus prays to be glorified to be glorified so that the Son may glorify the Father and that the Son would receive the glory that He had with the Father since before the world began. You see, this is holy ground. We use that term glory so often as Christians, right? But I'm not sure that we can always pin down exactly what that means. And here... Jesus completely subverts our expectations when it comes to this word. He teaches us what glory is all about. Because whenever Jesus is talking about glory in this prayer, Father, my hour has come, glorify me. He's talking about the cross. As the place where the glory of the Father and the Son is most clearly revealed. See, there's nothing glorious in the world's eyes about a dead man on a cross. Bloody and naked, weak and defeated. And yet that's where Jesus wants us to locate his glory because that is where eternal life is won. And this is eternal life. As he says in verse 3, 
that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The Father and the Son together are glorified on the cross because there Jesus won eternal life by dying in the place of sinners while at the same time revealing the Father's love for the world. You cannot know God in the way that Jesus prays in this prayer, nor can you know the Son whom he has sent apart from the glory of the cross. You can't do it. He wants you to find him there hanging and bleeding and dying for your sins. That's how he wants you to know him. This, talk, this type of talk is foolishness to the world, of course, right? The Apostle Paul writes that the word of the cross is folly, foolishness to those who are perishing. It's like it's a foreign language that the world cannot speak or understand. But Christ has revealed the Father to you. You know the only true God and His Son whom He has sent, and therefore you have eternal life. You see, what is wonderful about this prayer is not just that it is a thing to be studied and admired from afar. It's not just to be understood from a distance. It's something for you to lay hold of knowing that He was praying for you. Now in our verses for today, we hear Jesus specifically mentioned that He was praying for His disciples. Those guys that were in the room gathered around the table. He said, I'm praying for them. But whenever we get a few lines down in verse 20, we hear him actually expand this prayer out to include everyone who will believe in him through their word. He said, I, I do not pray for these only that are with me, but also for everyone who will come to believe in me through their word. And that's you. That's me. We're included here. We're in on the conversation, as mysterious as it is, as much as we feel like outsiders at times whenever Jesus is speaking. He's including us. This intercession is for you. You've been invited into this conversation to not only understand what is going on, but to receive everything that Christ prayed for here to receive it all. It's yours. So what else does he have for you in this prayer? In verses 6 through 9, he speaks about the disciples and how they were given to Jesus from out of the world and how they had come to believe in him as the one whom the Father had sent. So in other words, these guys may not have gotten everything right in their lives. They certainly didn't, but they had one thing right. They believed that Jesus was from God. They believed that he was the Son of God and that through believing they had life in his name. They, re they recognized him as the divine Son who had come into the world to win salvation. And Jesus says that these were the ones that received the words that the Father had given to the Son. And that's going to be very important come Pentecost. You know, next week, next Sunday, we celebrate Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was going to be poured out and he was going to be key in bringing to the memory of the apostles all that Jesus had done and taught. 
The words from the Father that were given and spoken through the Son, the Holy Spirit was going to be given to bring all of that stuff to their memory. And because of that, we have the Holy Scriptures. Because of that, we have words from God Himself. Words on a page. Words from a preacher that bring with them the same Holy Spirit who enables us even now to listen to Jesus' words and, and receive the eternal life that He has promised. So the Scriptures are... An, <laughs> We don't think about this very often, but the scriptures are actually an answer to Jesus' prayer here. Because what did the apostles do after Pentecost? Wrote the scriptures. It took them a few decades, but that's what they did by the power of the Holy Spirit. The very words that we read, the very words that we hear and that we sing in worship are an answer to Jesus' prayer. And now in verse 10, Jesus prays, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. There's that word again, glory. So we go from the Son being glorified by the Father, and the Father in turn glorified by the Son, to now the Son is glorified in His disciples. And as we've already heard, His glory is bound up with his suffering and death. Father, glorify me. He's talking about the time he's going to be lifted up on the cross. The disciples came to understand this. They didn't get it at first. And they wouldn't get it till much later, after Pentecost, whenever the persecution really cranked up. They learned what Jesus was getting at with this language of glory in the fires of persecution, in the fires of affliction and suffering. Because they would glorify the Son by doing what He commissioned them to do. To preach the gospel to every creature, to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, and they would suffer for it a great deal. They would all suffer. They would follow the way of the cross but that's exactly how Jesus was most glorified in them. The church grew like wildfire because there were men and women willing to suffer for it. We too glorify Jesus when we learn to suffer for the sake of his name. We are marked by Jesus' own sufferings and his death even in the waters of holy baptism. Our epistle lesson said today, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. Rather, here's what you are to do. Rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. There's that word again, glory, right there alongside suffering. As mysterious and as strange as suffering is to the world, the world does everything that it can to avoid this type of thing. It should be no, uh, no surprise to you. No surprise. It shouldn't be 
cause for consternation or for fear in your life, but it's actually cause for rejoicing. You see, because that's when the Son is most glorified in you. When you rejoice to share in the sufferings of Jesus, your Lord, when you rejoice, not so that you will earn anything, that's out of the question. It's not because you're going to earn anything. It's so that you will bear witness to the world that God the Father has sent the Son to redeem the world from all sins, that He suffered and He died to take them all away so that we who were once dead in sins and trespasses, we who once were at enmity with God are now alive through the Holy Spirit and we can call upon God's name at any time in prayer just as Jesus does here. What a witness. That's what Jesus is calling us to here. That's what he's calling us to in the epistle lesson. That's what he's calling us to and praying for us in this high priestly prayer. That the Son would be glorified in us. And speaking of God's name, we conclude with this one final petition that Jesus prayed. He said, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. To be kept in God's name is to be kept in Jesus' name. The name that the Father had given him, which is now the name that is above every name. And to be kept in this divine name is nothing less than to abide in our baptism, wherein God has placed his name upon us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And were it up to you to stay in your baptism you would fail miserably. I would fail miserably. But it is God's work to keep us. It's God's work. It's His business. And He does. He keeps us through His means of grace where He makes us one, where He makes us His church. You see, this is what Jesus invites you into in this prayer. This is what he has included you in. This oneness that he shares with the Father according to his being, you and I have, not according to our being, but by grace. We have this unique relationship with the Father and the Son by grace. We don't, we don't lose our individuality, but be, we become part of something that is God's own doing. We become part of his people. We become one with his church, wherein we carry on that mysterious conversation that Jesus has taught us. When you pray the Lord's Prayer today, that will be an example. We are simply picking up the conversation that Jesus has invited us into and that he has brought us into. It's in the community of the church that we enjoy a, re a unique relationship that is forged not just over time, but through the blood of Jesus and through his irreproachable intercession. The very thing that Jesus prayed for on the night when he was betrayed is the thing that has come true here today. So you sit here today as an answer to Jesus' prayer. You do. You've been brought into this relationship that Jesus has with his Father. His words with his Father are not a conversation that, has, that he has barred you from knowing, but one that he has invited you into, one that he has made you a part of. Indeed, today he wants you to know that he has prayed this for you.
And right now, at this very moment, as I speak to you, he intercedes for you at the Father's right hand. That's what the ascension teaches us. That he is seated at the right hand of power, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. But while he is there, he is interceding for you. He is using his divine power for the sake of your salvation. He's using his divine power to bring about your hope, your life, your salvation. When one day he will usher in the new creation. And as you pray today, as you participate in the life of the church, you do so knowing that you share in the very divine life that is on display here in these wonderful words, that Jesus is glorified in you, that you share in oneness with he and with his people. It's a gift to you today. That's what Jesus wants you to know. Hallelujah. Christ is ascended. He is ascended in you. Hallelujah. Amen.